0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love So Lord, now we we come to the time in our service when we open your word and we we seek to hear from you because as we just saying, what we we need is you. In whatever situation that we're in, in in life, whatever we're facing, what we need is you. We need a crucified and risen Savior. We need your spirit empowering us, guiding us. And as we see in our text today, we need to rely on you, depend upon you, walk with you. And so, Lord, now, would you speak through your word? We pray that we would block out everything else, that we wouldn't be concerned with what we brought into the service, what we're facing after the service. Lord, we need you now. We need to hear from you now. We need your word. We need the power of your spirit working, moving in our hearts, encountering us. And so, Lord, give us the grace to listen well. Open the eyes of our hearts now. Encounter us, we pray, through your word and the power of your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. So last week, we began a new series. We are walking verse by verse through Paul's second letter to Timothy. And we've entitled this series, Finish the Race, from one of the verses in this letter. Finish the race. One of the most important days in my race was May 14th, 1983. I had no idea when I woke up that morning that God was going to radically change my life that day. I was a senior in high school. It was a Saturday. I had been invited by a, a girl at my school that I was interested in to, to come over to her house on that Saturday, and to do some yard work. And so I happily volunteered because I wanted to be around her. But see, God outsmarted me. Because God knew that in reality, I was going to spend that day mainly around her brother, who was a very, very committed Christian. And so as we worked together that day, I noticed some things about his life. There was a calm. There was a peace. He was very open about his faith in Christ. We went in that day to have lunch with some other family members, and he prayed, and, and his his prayer, I could tell, this, this guy is, not only knows Christ, he's he's, he's intimate, on intimate terms with, with, with the Lord. He's walking with Christ. Later on that day, he was in law school at the time, and uh, I asked him that day, you know, what branch of law are you, particularly interested in, and he said he said well Thurman I'm just I'm just kind of relying on the Lord's guidance for that. Now I didn't really think about any of this at the time when we were together but but later on that afternoon I got home went in my bedroom closed the door behind me and listen the living God called me to himself that day. That tells you something about being a, a witness for Christ because My friend Art wasn't—he wasn't wasn't trying to do anything. He was just being himself that day, right? He was just—he was—he was was just not hiding who he was. He was just being himself, and the way that he answered my question, you know, about what kind of what branch of law are you interested in, Thurman, I'm just kind of relying on the Lord's guidance for that. That was just—that was just the truth. But his answer to that question struck me. And it gets to the heart of life in Christ, which is about relying on God. And I want us to talk about that today. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to talk about relying on God as we look at 2 Timothy 1 and verses 8 through 12. 2 Timothy 1 and verses 8 through 12. 12, I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, if you would follow along. Let's begin with verse 8. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he says this, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. What do we see here in this text about relying on God? First of all, we see something about relying on God's power in verse 8. Let's check it out. Look at verse 8 again. He says, So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Now, this carries over from what we saw last week in verse 7. Because he said there, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what? Of power. And now, here in verse 8, he's saying that one of the things that the Spirit gives us the power to do is to suffer for the gospel. Now, for first century believers like Paul and Timothy, suffering for the gospel was not theory. It was something that was happening. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy from a dungeon in Rome he, where he's been in prison for his faith in Christ. And suffering for the gospel is not theory to a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world today. I'll never forget the time when I was in Southeast Asia in a country where on the persecution index of believers, this country would be either right at the top or just next to it. And one of our workers there, one of the workers that that you support with your tithes and offerings, one of our gospel workers there, there were a group of people that were preparing for baptism. And our worker was kind of walking them through a series of questions to get ready for baptism And he asked them questions like this. Are you ready to suffer for Christ? Are you ready to die for Christ? This wasn't theory in that country. There was was a, a substantial chance that they would end up being martyred for their faith. Some people were late in coming to that particular meeting that we were at because they had just buried a sister in Christ who had been martyred for her faith. Many of our our workers around the world are in places, when, when people are baptized in those countries, especially young people, when young people are baptized, they bring their suitcase to their baptism because they know that after their baptism, they can't go home again. This is reality today for many brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Now, we in America have lived somewhat of a charmed life. Because our country was founded on Christian values. And many of us in this room can remember the time when, you know, evangelical Christianity was a dominant force in our culture. And we can remember the time when, you know, living by Christian values and going to church and all of that was kind of considered to be the right thing to do culturally. No more that world is gone. It's gone. And now, you know, (laughs) we're being attacked simply for believing what the Bible clearly teaches about so many things. And the temptation is going to be to just kind of acquiesce and cave in and, and, and just go along to get along with the drift of our, of our culture. What does the Bible say about Christians and persecution? I want us to turn over to the third chapter of 2 Timothy, right? 2 Timothy uh, 3, and let's look there at verse 12. The Bible here gives us a, a promise, it says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so if you never experience any pushback whatsoever for, your, for following Jesus, then friend, you, you need to ask yourself, am I standing tall enough for Christ? I've been studying the book of Daniel a lot because we're doing a Wednesday night series coming up on Daniel, and I'll be doing a major Sunday morning series on the book of Daniel later on in 2024. And I'm I'm struck by Daniel 3 when King Nebuchadnezzar, this, this pagan king in Babylon, You know, he calls upon everybody. He sets up this massive statue out on a plane. And then he calls all the officials from all over his realm. Everybody's going to come and stand before this this golden statue. And when the music plays, here's what you're going to do. You're going to bow down and worship this idol. And so the music plays, and in mass, everybody bows down, except for these three jewish men who have been exiled to babylon shadrach meshach and abednego they don't bow and so nebuchadnezzar has them hauled in and he says is it true what i hear that you don't bow let's give you another let's give this another opportunity The music's gonna play again, and you're gonna bow. And by the way, if you don't bow, here's what's gonna happen to you you're gonna get thrown into a blazing furnace. And they reply to him humbly, You know, King, our God who we serve is able to deliver us. But if he chooses not to, we're still not going to bow. And so they're thrown. Into the blazing furnace. And, uh, and when King Nebuchadnezzar looks inside, he sees the three of them walking around completely unharmed. But then he sees something else. There's a fourth man. A fourth man in the fire. And see, here's the thing. If you stand for Christ, it's going to get you into some fires. <laughs> but Christ is going to be right there in the midst of the fire with you, right? He's going to be with you. So let's kind of walk through verse 8 here. He says, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. We have all at, at times whimped out. We have all at times had opportunities to speak up for the Lord, and we committed the sin of silence. That's all of us, okay? We can all look back at times like that. But if, if being ashamed of Jesus is our way of life, if that's the normal course of life for us, then, then you need to ask yourself, if that's the norm, you need to ask yourself, do I really belong to Christ? Because what did Christ say? Luke chapter 9 and verse 26 Jesus says, therefore, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Let's keep walking through verse 8. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. So next week, we're going to see how when Paul was rearrested, And put in prison in Rome for the second time. We're going to see that lots of so-called Christians deserted him. They wanted nothing to do with him. (laughs) Jimmy Draper, uh, who was uh, past president of uh, of the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, back when we were when our denomination was kind of trying to right the ship theologically and everything. Um, Dr. Draper really, you know, he had to take a strong stand on the on the Bible and everything. And, and when he was getting ready to do that, lots lots of his friend, lots of his friends, you know, and these guys are you know, fellow pastors, and they were they were saying, "Hey, Jimmy, we'll be right behind. We're right behind you." And Jimmy Draper later said they were behind me, all right, way behind. <laughs> it was like he was radioactive. You know, they didn't want anything to do with him. And that's the way lots of Paul's so-called friends had become. When he was rearrested and, put, and thrown in prison again, they didn't want to get near him. You know, they were like, if we visit him, the Roman authorities are going to see that. We could end up in the same dungeon as him. And so they deserted him. So Paul says, don't be ashamed of our, the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Now, in saying that, he's not implying that Timothy was that at all, Paul's just saying, hey, Timothy, this is not, this is not how you want to be. This is not how you want to be. Here is how you want to be. Here is what you're called to do. Look at verse 8 again. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel. Now let's turn over to, to chapter 2 and look at verse 3. He says there, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. A soldier does not expect a life of ease. Before a soldier goes to boot camp or off to war, he is not expecting things to be easy. That's just not your expectation in the military. But I think too many Christians have that expectation when they follow Jesus, right? This is just going to be comfortable. It's just going to be a little add-on, a little little dollop of of the gospel on top of my comfortable life. And, you know, there's too many people in our culture who are like that and who don't really come to terms with what it means to follow Jesus If we stand tall for him, there will be some suffering. But that suffering is not joyless suffering. We can be happy warriors. And that's because of what we see next, the power of God. What does he say, verse eight? He says, share in suffering for the gospel, what? Relying on the power of God. Now listen, Timothy is in a situation where he has, he's in a situation that's totally beyond his human capacity to deal with. We saw when we went through 1 Timothy in the fall that you know the situation with the church in Ephesus was just incredibly difficult. It was a church that was torn apart by false teaching, had all these problems. Timothy's in a situation, he's got to deal with that. But not only that, This is, Nero's persecution of believers was in full swing in the 60s AD when this is written. Christians were being martyred left and right all around him. And not only that, but the person that Timothy was the closest to in this world, the apostle Paul, his father in the faith, was very soon going to be martyred. and He was going to be left without Paul. And he he knows it. And so this situation that he's in, it's beyond his own human capacity, his own strength to be able to deal with. Now, Paul knew what this was like. To to minister in situations where you were were brought to the end of yourself. And you had no human, it was beyond what you could possibly deal with. He tells us about one of these situations in 2 Corinthians 1 and verses 8 and 9. Paul says there, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, catch that, beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but... That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, perhaps you are in a situation today that feels beyond your capacity to deal with it. You've heard me say before what's over your head is under his feet. Christ is risen. There is not one thing happening in your life that a risen Savior cannot handle. But you've got to exchange your weakness for His strength, And you've got to rely on God's power and not your own. So relying on God's power. That's the first thing we see here in verse 8. Then in verses 9 and 10, we see something about relying on God's gospel. Let's check out verses 9 and 10. What a statement of the gospel. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Wow. Wow. So in verse eight, it's about some things that Timothy's called to do, share in suffering, rely on the power of God, stuff he's to do. But in order to do those things, he's got to rely on what Christ has already done. That's what we see in verses nine and 10. This is done. What has God done? Let's kind of walk through it here in verse nine. He saved us and called us, With a holy calling. Listen, if you are saved, the biggest problem in your life has has been taken care of. I love that song, Living Hope. And it talks about the, we sing it sometimes here, but the, the chasm, the chasm that lay between us as sinners, and a holy God who hates sin. That chasm has been bridged through the death and resurrection of Christ. So if you're in Christ, your biggest problem has been taken care of. And if you are in Christ, you are in Christ because God called you to himself. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now, as witnesses for Christ, as we're sharing the gospel, we make a call to people. We invite people to repent and believe in Christ. But when people are saved, there's not only an external call from a person like you and me, but there's an internal call that's happening. And that's the call of the Holy Spirit. Now we see all of this in, um, in the story of Lydia. So in Acts 16, Paul and these other missionaries come to the city of Philippi. And so they go down to the river. There's a group of women who are gathered there. And, and Paul preaches the gospel. And he invites people to repent and believe. And Acts 16:14 tells us what happened in the life of this woman named Lydia. It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Now, do you see the two callings that are happening there? There was Paul calling these people to repent and believe, right? But then there was the call of the spirit. There was God's effectual call that was opening her heart to respond to the gospel, right? That's God's role. We can't do that, right? All we can do is share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, and leave the results to God. That's our role. And listen, as a witness, you've got to understand your role and God's role because you can't save anybody. All we can do is just share the good news of what Christ has done. We can invite people to repent and believe. But listen, we don't control people's responses. And so the pressure is not on you, you're just a vessel. All you have to do is just share the good news of what Christ has done. It's the Spirit's role to open hearts, to respond, to call people to himself, right? That's what happened to Lydia. That's what happened to you if you're in Christ. And listen, this was this is all God's grace. Again, let's keep. Let's keep walking here through verse nine. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. God did not call you to himself because he saw something good in your life. In fact, the scripture here says that he set his love upon you before you had the opportunity to do a single good work. Because it happened before you were ever born. What does he say here? Again in verse nine, right? He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which what? Which was given to us in Christ Jesus, when? Before time began. So it didn't have anything to do with your works. There's no room for boasting. Look at Ephesians 1 and verses 4 through 6. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verses 28 through 30. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are, what, called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And so what Paul is stressing here to Timothy and to you and me is that God set his love upon you as his child before you were ever born. And if he did that, you think he's going to let go of you now? No, he is not. He will never let go of you. Look at verse 10. He says, This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Wow, I love this! abolished death. (laughs) Christ has abolished death. The great Puritan theologian John Owen said, there is a death of death in the death of Christ. The great English poet John Donne says at the end of his great Poem, Death, Be Not Proud, he says, death, thou shalt die. Yes, because Christ is risen. He has abolished death. Now, there's a story in the Gospels that puts a lot of this stuff together, calling the abolition of death, right, death to life. It's a story of Lazarus. So Lazarus, dear friend of Jesus, along with his two sisters, Mary and Martha, Lazarus dies, he's been dead for four days. Jesus comes upon the scene, Lazarus is in the tomb, Mary and Martha are weeping, everybody's weeping, and what does Jesus do? John 11, 43 and 44, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, the dead man came out. Bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth, Jesus said to them, Unwrap him and let him go. We sang it earlier, You called my name and I ran out of that grave. You were, if you're in Christ, you have been raised from the dead spiritually. And if you're in Christ, one day when Christ returns, you're going to be raised physically with a glorified body. So this miracle is all the miracles of Jesus. It's a preview of coming attractions. The gospel, relying on God's gospel. Third, relying on God's protection. Relying on God's protection. Let's check out verse 11 and the first part of verse 12. Paul says, for this gospel... I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. Every place that Paul went, he knew he was going to suffer. Look at what he says in Acts 20, in verses 20 through 23. He says, in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Wow. I consider my life of no value to myself. and th- This guy is dead. He's dead to self. He's died to himself. He's like, life is not about me. Whether I live, whether I die, I'm not in charge of that. I don't concern myself with that at all. Because he was dead. There's a scene in the great uh, series Band of Brothers where there's this kid who on D-Day, uh, instead of fighting, he'd, he'd, he'd hid in a ditch And his officer comes up to him later on, and and the kid confesses, you know, what he he had done and everything. And the officer says to him, he says, son, do do you know why you hid in that ditch? He says, it's because you still have hope. But here's what you've got to understand. The only hope you have is to understand that you're already dead. That's the only way you're going to be able to do this to consider yourself already dead. And as as followers of Christ, we must do that. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I mean, we sung it earlier. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We've got to die. We've got to die to self in order to live for Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, it's not up to me what happens to my life, whether I live or whether I die. I don't even think about that. It's because he's dead. He's dead to self. When you're dead to yourself, you can truly live. You can be free to live for the Lord. Let's look at the latter part here, verse 12. He says, but I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am a- persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Now, Greek scholars, New Testament scholars tie themselves in knots <laughs> trying to translate uh, the latter part of verse four. 12, and I'm not going to bore you with the technicalities of it, but there's an issue here uh, grammatically, and and it comes down basically to this question. Is Paul here talking about something um, that God had entrusted to him or something that he has entrusted to God? And... You know, here in the CSB, it's kind of, and in the ESV, it takes kind of, the translators kind of take the position that it's talking here about something that God has entrusted to him, and undoubtedly God had entrusted things to him, but I would agree with New Testament scholars, uh, William Mounts and Gordon Fee, that the context here suggests That really what Paul is saying is he's talking about something that he has entrusted to God. Um, Let's look at the, this is the New American Standard uh, 2020 version uh, translation of verse 12. I, I like this. For this reason I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to protect what I have entrusted to him until that day. What has Paul entrusted to God until that day? His life. His life. And everything about his life, right? That's the context here, right? He's saying, it's, it's, it's not up to me what happens in my life because I've given all of that to God. I surrendered all of that to him. He it, He's able, he is in charge, right? He's able, if he wants me to keep going, he'll find a way to protect me. If he wants to call me home, he'll do that, but it's not up to me. I've entrusted my life to him. Leonard Ravenhill once said this about the Apostle Paul. Paul had no ambitions for himself and so had nothing to be jealous about. He had no reputation and so had nothing to fight about. He had no possessions and therefore nothing to worry about. He had no rights, so therefore he could not suffer wrong. He was already broken, so no one could break him. He was dead. So none could kill him. In other words, Paul was a man who had raised a white flag above his life and surrendered it completely to Christ. Entrusted it totally to Christ. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we pray for the grace to surrender, to entrust our lives completely, totally to you, to withhold no part of our life from you, but to do the Christian life from a a standpoint of surrender, just entrusting our lives and everything about them to you. Now listen. As we continue to pray, you, you may be in this room, you may be watching the stream, and you've never surrendered your life to Christ as your Savior and Lord and King. I want to invite you to do that right now. You've got one who loves you like no one else loves you. That love has been demonstrated by the fact that he died on a cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead. He lives. He is risen. Turn to Christ and trust him now. Repent and believe. Turn from trying to do life your way, apart from him. Turn to Christ and receive him. Welcome him into your life as your savior and king. Take your hands off the controls and trust your life to the Lord. Christians, our problem is that often we try to grab back control. What is it in your life today? What is it as you are at the beginning of a new year? What is it that you've tried to take back control of, but in reality, you need to let go of that and give it to the Lord? What is it today that in your life that seems it's beyond your human capacity to deal with? Are you going to try to deal with that in your own power, or are you going to yield that to the Lord? And so, Father, we pray for your spirit to work in all of our hearts today. Father, for people who need Christ as Savior and Lord, may today be a day of salvation for believers who need to surrender all to you. Give grace to do that. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. I mentioned that song. About